Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. Um, before I pray and we excuse the kids and we get on with things, I wanted to remind you that on the 11th of September, we will begin our new schedule for Sunday mornings. 9 o'clock for first service, 10 o'clock for Sunday school, that's the big change, and then 11 o'clock for the second service. That's wonderful. That gives more people options for Sunday school, and we're hoping that people will use that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and uh, excuse our kids. Father, thank you that we have opportunity today to gather together as your people. I ask, Father God, that you would be with the children as they go downstairs. I ask that you would be with the adults and the helpers. And I thank you and I praise you that we have opportunity to, to portray the gospel and to teach the next generation the truth of your word. Let that time downstairs be filled with learning and excitement about Jesus. Thank you, Father God, for this service this morning. I thank you for your word. And I ask, Father God, that you would minister to us and change our hearts as we look at your word. Thank you, Father, for all the wonderful, amazing things you've done for us through your Son. In Christ's name, amen. And they're off to the races. There they go. Yeah, we don't even have to dismiss them. We don't even have to dismiss them. They know the, they know the routine. <laughs> this morning, we're going to end our series on miracles. And we're going to end it with the greatest of all miracles. And Zach and I both are going to bring this message this morning. This is a little different. But that's okay. We're doing this because we both feel this intense passion for the greatest miracle. And this is something that uh, Zach and I talked about and we wanted to try. And, and first of all, this is not a preaching contest. So, so just don't even go there. And I'm not standing on the box, so just put up with the height difference. This intense passion that we have for the greatest of miracles is why we're going to do this because we're hoping that by both of us preaching through this message that you will, will gather how important this is and that we will reinforce the importance of this miracle. There really isn't a greater one. This is the one. As we've been in this series, each of the miracles we've looked at point toward this same fabulous miracle. What is the greatest miracle? The miracle is being saved from eternal separation from God. The first miracle we looked at was creation. And God, he didn't have to create. God chose to create. And the reason why God created everything was to bring glory to himself. God's love for the Trinity poured out to all of creation. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There was nothing, and now there was something. Science can take us all the way back to the beginning, but it can never describe why there is something rather than nothing. 
You see, even science knows that there was a beginning. I was reading the other day about a telescope called the James Webb Telescope. And it uses a camera with these three filters that can map out infrared light. It makes it visible to the human eye. They're hoping that this new technology can give us insight into the Big Bang. And what I love about it is the Bible, the Bible that we read 3,300 years ago, Moses already wrote about it. The Bible is clear. God spoke and the universe came into existence. Hebrews 11.3 By faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. The universe came into existence by divine command. It was not assembled from pre-existing matter or energy. The beginning of the universe was a supernatural event. Colossians 1.16 says this, For by Him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. You see, if Christ created all things, then He could not have been created. He must have always been And Christ created a universe that is 93 billion light years wide. And yet the Bible tells us that humans are his grand creation. We are made in his image. Men and women have the ability to know God and therefore love him. To worship him and to serve him and have fellowship with him. God did not create human beings because he needed them. As God, he needs nothing. It's not like God was lonely and he said, I want to create a bunch of really cool people to keep me company. No, he's like, I I love them. And the fact that he needed us meant so much more. The fact that he wanted us means so much more. If God had never existed, God would still be God. The unchanging one we see in Malachi 3.6. In God, he created Adam and Eve with this ability to choose right and wrong. He gave them a choice, the tree of life or the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And Adam and Eve chose knowledge. They chose death. They chose the ways of this world and not abundant life in God. And they began to die physically, although it took many years for their bodies to die. But you see this spiritual death immediately, separated from the perfect holiness of God. And at that moment, God, he passes judgment on Adam and Eve and on Satan. And in this judgment, we find God's grace. It's where we see the greatest of all miracles. In his judgment, we see the solution that God provided for a problem that we could not solve on our own. Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This word enmity or eva in the Hebrew is a feminine noun meaning hostility or hatred among nations in warfare. God is like, prepare yourself, Satan. You think that you have won, but I will win the war. You are only a pawn in my perfect plan. The greatest miracle is found in this last phrase. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Bruising the head should be understood as lethal. Bruising the heel is non-lethal. This verse, it looks forward to Jesus, the offspring, winning the battle with Satan through his death, his burial, 
in his resurrection. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says this. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Amen. The second miracle that we looked at was the parting of the Red Sea. Just an incredible, incredible miracle. And it's a, a picture of God delivering his people from certain death. The parting of the Red Sea is also connected to another miracle, the miracle of the Passover. If you remember, Pharaoh would not let the Hebrew people leave Egypt. And God judged them through ten plagues. The last of those ten plagues was the death of the firstborn. To escape this death, God instructed the Hebrew people to kill a perfect lamb. From that lamb, they were to take some blood and, and paint that blood on the posts and lintels of their homes. The angel of death would pass over the homes with that blood. The firstborn in the home passed over would not die. Without that blood, the firstborn would die. The sacrificial lamb was given for the people of God to protect them from certain death. These events point to Jesus, the cross, the sealed tomb, and the resurrection. Now as that story unfolds, when the firstborn of the Egyptians died, the Egyptians were quick you know, to get them to leave. The Hebrew people left Egypt and they came to the shore of the Red Sea. The Egyptians changed their mind. And they came after the Hebrew people. They wanted to bring them back for slave labor. The Hebrew people were trapped. They couldn't go forward because of the sea. And the Egyptian army was, was rapidly approaching from behind. They're trapped. But God had a plan. God provided salvation for God's people by parting the sea. And providing dry ground for them to pass over to the other side. Here's, here's this, these people. And they, they come to the sea and, and it's amazing. There's dry ground and there's also, the, the scriptures des, describe it as walls of water on either side. That's amazing. Can you imagine walking through this? You know, you're walking on dry ground. And there's the squid watching you, you know, on this side, a little ways further, there's a, there's a shark, you know, passing by in these walls of water. Amazing, amazing miracle. And what this is, is a picture of the salvation that we have through the blood of Jesus. Each person is trapped, held hostage by sin. And there's only one way out, and that's through God's plan. Every human is in need of God's deliverance from the certainty of death because of sin. The deliverance for the Hebrew people was by God's sovereign hand. The same is true for our deliverance from sin. Only through the blood of Jesus can we be saved. The story also shows, because the Egyptians were destroyed, that to reject God... And his plan results in certain death. Paul tells us this 
in 2 Timothy 4. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Next is Elijah. He's on Mount Carmel. And there's this contest between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And God, he demonstrates his power and his sovereign authority by consuming the altar. There is no other God who can save There is no other God. The God of Elijah, the God of the Bible, is the only one. Any other God is a fraud, a fake, a a deception. And worshiping any other God will only bring destruction. Oppose God and there will be certain death. Put your faith in God and he will deliver you by the power of his right hand. This miracle points to the incredible power of God to save his people and his perfect justice. Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. God's right hand is power. But often we see God's power in the gentleness of a low whisper. He met Elijah in a low whisper when he was in the depth of his despair. He meets us in a low whisper in the depth of our despair. And there is no greater despair than a separation from God. And Jesus willingly separated himself from God. He was silent in front of Pilate. And he did not try to justify his innocence because he willingly was liable. He willingly suffered the consequences of our sin. He willingly took on the cross. And he did it with such compassion. Jesus, at that moment, hanging on a cross, spoke these words about the men who were killing him. Luke 23, 34. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. The next miracle that we looked at was the manipulation of time. Another just incredible thing that only God can do. And in this miracle, God made the sun stand still. It just blows me away because, you know, the physics people and all, they, they say if the earth stops, we all just fly off at an incredible rate of speed. You know, okay. Well, somehow God managed to stop everything and the sun stood still. Joshua 10, beginning of verse 12. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Adulon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Yashar? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. Wouldn't that be amazing? But there's a part in this that is important for us to recognize. This this began with Joshua speaking to the Lord. Joshua spoke to God. He prayed. Prayer is a vital part of the, the greatest miracle. God hears his people when they pray for deliverance from their greatest enemy, which is sin and death. God was with Israel that day, and he gave them victory. They believed God's promise and knew that the victory was assured. 
The same is true for each believer who trusts in the gospel, the greatest miracle. Our first step, the first step in trusting God is prayer. God hears the prayers of sinners calling out to God to be saved. And because of the victory we have in Christ, we continue to call out to God because we have access to God at any time. That's amazing. We can talk to the creator of the universe and he loves for us to come to him and tell him our needs. He he hears every prayer and we can trust that he will answer in the way that helps us the most. As God's people, we have eternal victory because of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And what about Daniel? What about Daniel and his friends and their deliverance through certain death? They did not fear death. And even if God did not save them from the fiery furnace, they know that they would be in the presence of God. I think we can learn so much from these two stories. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were a perfect example of what it means to be a believer. Listen to this in Daniel 3.17. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. They have faith. What beautiful faith that they have, that God will provide for them. But even if he doesn't on this earth, they know that he will save them. And that he is still God. Verse 18. But if not, be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. We can learn so much from this. As a believer, our life is more than just the physical aspects of this world. We should find comfort, peace, and reassurance in this life, but only because our faith, our identity, who we are is not based in this world, but in our citizenship in heaven. And this isn't a one-time event. We see Daniel. He demonstrates this boldness, this obedience to his relationship with God. And all the high officials, they want to trap Daniel. And they feed into King Darius' ego. They sign this decree that everyone should only pray to King Darius. They know exactly what they're doing. Example after example, Daniel continually is obedient and lives out a life to God. They don't have to wait long. Immediately, Daniel goes and prays like he always does. And because of that, he ends up being tossed into the den of lions. The king hears about it. He's shocked, and instantly he's remorseful. But you see, he trusts that Daniel's God will bring him through, that Daniel's God will save him. The king has heard stories about Daniel's God, and now he's getting the opportunity to see God work. God authenticates his status as the one true God. Daniel 6, 19 through 23. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? 
And then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. And then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. And so Daniel was taken out of the den. No kind of harm was done to him because he had trusted in his God. It changed the king. And the king, he declares something that all believers should declare. Daniel 6.26, I make a decree that in my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. Daniel and his buddies, they display what every believer should display. Physical death is not feared by believers. We have hope. We are not afraid because we have been bought and purchased by the blood of Jesus. Jesus has always been the solution. Daniel and his buddies, they looked forward to this apex of all civilization, and we look back. Physical death only takes the believer into the presence of God. God, he used Daniel to continue to show the world God's plan to save those who trust him and draw near to him. Hebrews 7, 25. Consequently, he is able to save the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Amen. We also looked at the dead being raised back to life. And each of the resurrections that we looked at resulted in the person who was revived having to die a second death. Only one of those resurrections that we looked at was different. And that's the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus rose from the dead... And remains alive. We know from scripture that the soul lives for eternity. For the believer, the soul is in God's presence. The unbeliever, in hell. Separated from God. God has power over physical life and death. And God also has power over spiritual life and death. And God is justified... In his holiness to judge all of creation. He will judge all humans based on their faith in the work of Jesus on the cross. Because Jesus conquered physical death, death has no power. Paul exhorts us in this in in 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 56. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But Jesus Jesus also conquered spiritual death. John 3.36 Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. John wrote later in chapter 6, verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And this brings us to the greatest miracle. 
which was planned before Jesus' creation even came into existence. But it culminates at the death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus paid the just and required price that God required for all sins. Of all humanity, he made it possible to be saved, to conquer death, to restore a right relationship with God, to have fellowship with God for all eternity. And Jesus was fully God and fully man, which makes him the perfect sacrifice to meet the righteous, holy demands of God's law. He provided a sacrificial, substitutionary death. And this death was a concept that God had illustrated through Abraham and Isaac and throughout the Old Testament. Jesus took our sins, even though he had no sin, and he imparted it to each believer. His righteousness. A righteousness that was prophesied by Jeremiah in Jeremiah 23, 6. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely, and this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. This brings us to a place where we need to consider some things. So I have some reasons why we consider this to be the greatest of all miracles. I believe I have five of them. This is the greatest miracle because each believer is made holy and righteous before God. Each believer is made holy and righteous before God and is acceptable in God's presence. That is so amazing. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Not just any old righteousness, but the righteousness of God. What an incredible miracle. Second, this is the greatest miracle because of the incredible glory that it brings to God. This this whole plan that God has instituted glorifies Him. Every believer glorifies God. Colossians 1.27 To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Third, this is the greatest miracle because God's crowning achievement of creation is restored. God began this miracle in the garden. You know, there's just Adam and Eve. So, so he began in a garden, which we also would call a paradise. God fulfills this miracle in paradise, which also has a garden. It's all about God taking this crowning achievement of his creation, that's you and I, and restoring us, restoring us to him. 2 Corinthians 5.18 All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Fourth, this is the greatest of all miracles because God's plan of salvation is a plan of grace. In our sinfulness, we are helpless to save ourselves. We are so flawed in our natural sinful state 
that no effort on our part, part no, no work that we could do, will satisfy God's holy standard of righteousness. There's no way for us to do it. God does it. He does it His way. He provides the way. Ephesians 2, beginning of verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And the last reason this is the greatest of miracles. This one should just be so incredible in how we view who we are. Because this miracle causes the believer to be adopted into the family of God. Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And the only requirement of people is to change their mind about their need to be saved and believe God's plan, putting their trust, their faith in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Romans 5, 6 through 11 tells us about it. For while we were still weak, at the exact right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person would dare even die. But, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we are enemies, we are reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Amen. So, what do we do with this? How do we respond and I, I struggled very much with bringing this to an end because there needs to be a response. This is the greatest miracle. There isn't anything better than this miracle of being saved by the blood of Jesus. So how, how are we as the people of God and, and maybe some that are trying to find their way into the kingdom of God, how are we to respond to this? And I write words and you know, I'm scribbling things on paper and I'm typing things on the computer and nothing worked. It all just seemed flat. What's the response? So the Spirit of God took me to my favorite chapter in the Bible. Romans 8. And I believe this should be Fuel for our response. Listen to these words from Paul. Beginning in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Amen. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for the greatest miracle. Lord, I pray as we see this greatest miracle that we are never not amazed by it. That this miracle of salvation is a miracle that we are excited about, that we love to see and that we have a desire to go and to, to be purposed by you. Lord, I thank you for all the miracles that you did. I thank you for creation. I thank you for even creating us, giving us life. And I thank you that we can be in your presence because of your son. Lord, Lord, let us hold on to that. Let us look towards you. Let us look towards your son and let us see you and be in your presence. Let us be comforted. Let us have hope. Let us not be in despair. God, you are great. You are wonderful. You are powerful. And you are the source of all salvation. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.